Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and the things that you are doing in our hearts and lives. We thank you for your strength, and Lord, just ask that you would work in each part of this service. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. If you need an outline, uh, wave your hand there and uh, Andrew or, or Philip will bring you on. You'll be okay. Okay. Thank you, John. And uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2 and... Uh, we're going to be working through the book of Philippians on a little different basis than we have in the past. I love to just uh, take time and get every thought as it's presented. And of course, there's no way we can get every thought, but to examine everything as it's presented in uh, the, 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 the book. But... Um, what we're doing right now is catching the big picture, as I might say, just trying to keep this thing because actually, uh, as uh, we could have already had six or eight lessons where we've only had two or three, this is our fourth, and, and uh, believe it or not, we're going to try to go the whole way through chapter two tonight, which is very unusual for us. Uh, but what I would like for us to do is not lose the entire message because there are so many things. I mean, we could uh, just uh, take verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I mean, how long could we spend on that subject? Um we could spend an entire week on the list of things found in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we could, uh, uh, verse 12 is, is one of those verses that so many people uh, just really mess up. And the only way we can keep all of this straight is just to go through the whole chapter and, and kind of get the idea. Now, chapter 1, let's take just a quick review Paul's hope was that he would soon be released. That's, that was his hope, that he would be able to be there with the Philippians, his love for them, his desire. And yet verse 6 kind of sums up or gives us the direction of the entire chapter. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul had one hope for the church at Philippi. What had started when Paul was released from the prison uh, and what had started at the riverside with Lydia was going to continue. The intimacy that Paul had with the Philippian church was uh, not only because he was the founder of that church, he was the one that God had sent there to this city to start this church, but they had communicated is the Bible word. Now, the word communicate in our Bible uh, does not mean that they wrote Paul letters as he wrote them letters. It meant that they sent him offerings to help him 
in his ministry. And as we get here to chapter 2, we're going to see when we get to the end of this, the extent of their uh, help and their work with Paul. And yet, we have Paul explaining his bonds, the fact that he was in prison. And yet, his outlook is not negative, is it? His outlook is, hey, I've been put in prison at this point nearly four years, if we understand everything correctly. And he said the gospel's going further than it was before. He said, I'm where God wants me to be. I am rejoicing in the Lord. Not because I'm in prison, but because... Things are happening, and yet there's those out there, there are always those out there that want to do something good with something bad in mind. You ever met one of those people? I mean, it's just a scary thing, is it not? Uh, When the IRS calls up and says, we want to help you, you know they got something bad in mind. Uh, That's that's not a comforting thought. And uh, yet, uh, Paul said, Listen, even those that got some problems, even those who are preaching the right message for the wrong reasons, they're still preaching the right message. This is not, please do not read into this, uh, that Paul was condoning the preaching of false doctrine. That is anti-biblical. What he was preaching is, and, and, and we tried to explain this last, last week, uh, in more detail was you'll you'll find some churches that just uh, uh, I guess uh, it would be best summed up in the words of uh, one of our former presidents. He had said his wife asked him where were you? He said I went to church. What did the preacher preach on? He preached on sin. What did he say about it? He was again it, and that was the whole conversation. And, and there are some people they're just they're just against it. They're against everything. They're against everybody. They're against themselves if they were really honest. But you know what? They're still taking the message of the gospel to the world in which they live. And that's a good thing. And Paul said, I'm not going to get caught up in trying to make everything right. Even some of these people, as Paul said, were doing it to add to his affliction. He said, that's not happening to me. That is just not happening to me. And he says, listen, you need to understand something. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your fears that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You ever, somebody ever try to bully you? I mean, every once in a while, passing out tracks, somebody will say, I don't want one of those. And I'm supposed to go, and... Just not going to do it. Amen? 
I feel sorry for you. What, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. It's all wrong with you. I'm not angry. I've got the most wonderful message in the world I'd like to share with you. And if you, you want to be a grump about it, have, have a bad day. I can't stop you. And, uh, you know, this is where Paul was on this. And he was trying to help the Philippians understand that the good things that had happened, the bad things that had happened, everything was sending forth the gospel, and it's time to get to work. And so we get to chapter 2, and we have Paul's consolation. Now, when we think of the word consolation, we think of somebody putting their arm around us and saying, oh, I feel sorry for you. That's not consolation. That's more pity. Consolation is when our van was broken down in Tennessee at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I got up the next morning and started calling some places, and nobody had a tow truck big enough to tow the van. And a guy, I called a company, he says, yeah, he says, I think I got one. And so he called back 10 minutes, he says, I got a truck big enough to tow your van. You know what? That was consolation. Because it was going to help us get the van fixed. Do you see the difference? Just sitting there and putting your arm around somebody and saying, I feel sorry for you. What does that do for them? Well, they feel the warmth of my presence. Well, that may or may not be the case. Uh, certainly, if you've had garlic knots or something along those lines, they will feel your presence in a very powerful way, but that's not necessarily helping them move in the right direction, now is it? You know, we live in a world that's so concerned about feelings that the really important things are never addressed. Can I get political for a minute? You wonder why those guys at NATO are upset at our president? It's because we've been footing the bill for their defense ever since NATO was... And our president was the first one, our current president was the first one that's ever actually looked him in the face and said, You're not doing anything. Everybody else just kind of smiled. You know what? We, we live in a world where we're all concerned about feelings. It's not fair. Well, can anybody tell me when the last time something was fair? I mean, honestly, what, is, what does that word mean? It was inside the foul poles at the ballpark. That, that's fair. Um, you see, Paul says, if there be any consolation in Christ, your Christianity is not something to make you feel good. 
It's something to change the way you live. It's something that gives you an expectation of the future. Paul is calling into remembrance what happened, where these people were. They were meeting in a river and praying. Women. That's all there was. There was no men concerned enough for the truth that was in the Bible in the city of Philippi. And then Paul spent a very uncomfortable night in the Philippian jail. And now they had a man in the church. And they're going to have a lot of men in the church. And they're going to, this church is going to grow and it's going to do things. See, sometimes this word consolation in our Bible is translated exhortation. It's got an idea here involved that there is counseling going on, there's talk, but there is an encouragement to do what is absolutely best. You see, we kind of flew over those verses about in chapter 1 where it says, approving things that are excellent, verse 10. Paul says, this consolation in Christ, if, if there is this consolation in Christ, if there is a comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He is literally laying this thing out for the Philippians to understand what's happening. He says, listen, there is consolation in Christ, but he uses the word if in there. Because he wants them to understand, of course there's consolation in Christ. And this consolation is not just, oh, let's feel good together. Or let's feel sad together. We'll console each other. No. That's, Christ gives us direction. Again, let's look at the word love. What is the definition of the word love? If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. How many of you have ever felt the comfort of keeping God's commandments? That you've lived the Christian life long enough to feel the protection that God gives you because you were doing what God said. That's a whole different definition. You're not going to hear that most places. But that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the fellowship of the Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit is effecting, E-F, that means making a change. He is effecting the same salvation in your heart that he was in the Apostle Paul's heart. That... And we've been over this material many times in many different ways. If the church, and it is the local church, is the body of Christ, and then there are many local churches in this world, if Christ is the head of that church, if each church is directly responsible To Christ, there's only one place you can learn about Jesus authoritatively. Where is it? 
Right here, amen? You can know nothing authoritatively about Jesus Christ that is not written down. You can sit in your closet all day long and feel all the feelings you want to feel. But the only authority you have for those is your feeler. And it can be so quickly and easily deceived. Isn't that true? Our faith is not subjective, it's objective. The object of our faith is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, and the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ, the written Word of God. And so as we look at what is going on here, we have the fellowship of the Spirit because if the church is responsible to Christ, it is. The Bible's the only place we can learn about Him. Shouldn't there be some congruency? That's a mathematical term, meaning exact agreement in every point. Shouldn't there be some congruency in faith between a church of Jesus Christ in the Philippines and a church of Jesus Christ in America? A church of Jesus Christ in the first century and a church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Shouldn't there be some points of agreement, exact agreement, enough that we could recognize the same form? Can we say amen to that? There ought to be, and there is. You see, that's the fellowship of the Spirit. Every once in a while, well, maybe I'll tell you this story real quick. I, I think I've told, I know I've told it before, but I had a fellow call me up on the phone several years ago. Pastor, I've got to have a meeting with you. And this, I've learned. Uh, listen, if you want to have a meeting with me, you come to church first. Uh, I'm not going to have meetings with somebody that doesn't want to come to church. Uh, well, he had been waiting all the way through the service. And sat in my office. He says, I, I just want you to know something. I've, I've made an amazing discovery. I said, well, what is that? He said, I have found out how Jesus is going to feed Christians during the tribulation period. I said, really? How's that? He's going to translate food to them through their television sets. This guy was really serious. And uh, I just looked at him and he said, yes, Jesus is going to take care of his church by transmitting food to them through their television sets. I said, I only got one problem with your theory. He said, what's that? I said, well, the best understanding of our Bible is church isn't going to be here during the tribulation period, so your point's entirely mute. And he looked at me and goes, you know, you messed up all my thinking. I said, yeah, I intended to. I said, if you want to know the truth about the Bible, you've got to stop looking up here and start looking in here. Amen? The fellowship of the Spirit. It's what keeps me from going off on my own tangents and believing anything and everything that is out there. And believe me, it, it's out there. 
This guy is by no means the most unusual person that I've sat down and talked to over the years. Maybe I ought to write a book about that sometime. Crazy people in my office. But then I'd have to include myself, so I won't do that. But anyway, let's keep moving here. And bowels of mercy. Now, in the Bible, in, in, in our modern English, we, we say, I love you with my heart. Now, when you say you love a person with your heart, are you talking about that little thing about the size of your fist? Right about here that goes thump, 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 thump. No, you're talking about your insides. Well, the Bible word is your bowels. Uh, I love you with all my guts. Not quite a pleasant thought as I love you with my heart. But uh, really what it's saying is I love you with, with all of my insides, bowels. My human concern, my care. What are mercies? You know what mercies are? Mercies are putting up with each other. That's what God gives to us when we've rebelled against him and been defeated. And we admit defeat. He gives us mercy, doesn't he? Mercy is given by the victor to the vanquished. When the defeated party is willing to abide by the rules of the victor. Amen. You see, this idea of faith isn't something that I can explore and do my own way. It's pre-described by Jesus Christ. He has established his faith. And Paul is saying, listen, if all of these things exist, and they do, I want you to understand they do. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now what we have here is Paul saying, listen, here is the basis of our relationship in Christ. We have the consolation of Christ the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, bows and mercies. He's describing the different aspects of our relationships to each other in the church and to other Christians at large. He said, now, Philippian church, I believe God's going to continue this work. That's chapter 1. That's his expectation. He says, my consolation is, Here's how you're going to get it done. Selflessness. Having the same mind. Being like-minded. You see, if Christ is working in my heart, the same Christ is working in your heart, Shouldn't we be able to work together? Well, why can't we? Well, we go back over there to verse uh, 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Well, there's going to be those that won't work together. They're just going to happen. 
But here's what he's saying. When we get rid of ourselves and let Christ do the work, and then he gives us the example of Christ, and we're going to move very quickly from here to the end of the chapter so we don't lose the basis of these things that are mentioned here in, in the first few verses. The example of Christ, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the idea. Jesus did not deny who he is. Never once. In fact, when he was on trial, they asked him, do you believe you're the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And he said, I am. And they condemned him upon his own words. I love the way John chapter 12 puts it as they came in a... I mean, um, 13, as they approached him in the garden. I'll get the right chapter here in a minute. It was uh, actually <laughs> chapter 18. Uh, they, he said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he say? I am. And they all fell down. You know what Jesus was doing right there? was not thinking it robbery to be equal with God. He mentioned his name, and they were all forced to fall down in homage to who he is. But he made himself of no reputation. Jesus was not concerned about opinion polls. He was not concerned about what people thought. He was concerned about only one thing, and that was obedience to the will of the Father. And let me ask you, could there be a correlation to Jesus' obedience to the will of the Father and his statement that he said just a a few hours before he was arrested, If ye love me, keep my commandments. The mind that was in Christ Jesus is the mind that he wants to put in you and I. And that mind of Christ is what's going to bring the consolation. Not just, oh, I feel so sorry for you. But, hey, I'm going to give you my strength to overcome this problem. That's consolation. Amen? And I'm not alone because I have the comfort of love, knowing that being obedient to God's commandments, every good thing I have in my life is because I was obedient to God's commandments. The only regrets I have in my life is when I was disobedient to those commandments. But I have a fellowship of spirit 
because the Holy Spirit that's working, and I use Heartland oftentimes as an example, because it is a collection of different people from all over the country. And yet, I could meet almost any pastor there, and we can talk. Oh, we don't face the same things. We have nothing in common except Jesus, our Bible, thing called church. In fact, we have everything in common. That's the fellowship of the Spirit. And we put up with one another. Bows and mercies. And you see, we're not thinking about ourselves. And the exaltation that came will come to Christ has been there, is coming, should be said, because of his obedience. Christ is going to exalt his people. Read the letters to the churches. I can't wait. I, I'm sorry, I just can't wait until he fulfills that promise to his church. In Revelation chapter 3, he's going to make those of the synagogue of Satan. Those that have been teaching false doctrine, they're going to come and they're going to worship at the feet of people who have simply believed the Bible. All these smart muckety-mucks that have all these doctor degrees and laugh at us for being simple, they're going to be on their faces because God's going to make them understand that their doctrines were not His doctrines. Jesus died for everyone, but you're not His children until you're born again into His family. You're not His child unless you surrender your sin and everything about you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't have any rejoicing in my heart whatsoever for those that find themselves on the wrong side of eternity. But I will tell you this, God is not going to be merely content to tell them you're wrong. He's going to make sure they understand how wrong they were. And we need to rejoice in what God is going to do. And then we get to chapter, verse 12 of this chapter as we're moving through here. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, what was the theme of Jesus' mind? What was the theme in Jesus to be obedient? Paul says, listen, you've been obedient. Not only, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, many people have tried to take that verse and make it say, listen, you, you've got to, you got to work. You've got to keep this doing. You've got to make God understand. You've got to make a deal with God in order to get your salvation. That's not what this verse is talking Nothing at all. Paul's writing to saved people. You can't be a member of the church until you're saved, until you're baptized. What he's saying is, you have got the most powerful and greatest thing in the history of mankind. It's called salvation. What are you sitting around sour-faced about? Get to work for the Savior. Work out that salvation. He says with fear and trembling. Why? 
Because this flesh gets in the way so easily. This mind wants to exalt itself. This, this heart wants to put itself in the place of Christ. That's where the fear and trembling come in. And we look here, uh, look at the next verse, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do. And what's that little pronoun in there? Can you read that out loud for me? Both to do and will what? His. Both to do and both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do you know the best thing that could ever happen to you is for God to take away your desires, for you just to sit down and be quiet and stop trying to tell God how to do things in your life and let Him do what's best. Could we say amen to that? That's His good pleasure. His good pleasure. He is so much greater than we are. He has so much more in in store for us than we could ever figure out on our own. But we have got to surrender to that. You see, I was reading a commentary and they were telling me that, oh, Paul was begging the Philippian church to get this straightened out. And I'm sitting there going, boy, I don't read that in there. Paul was cheering the Philippian church to keep on going in the path they were going in. The expectation, the consolation was the fact that they were going to fulfill this expectation as long as they would get rid of self. That they would remember the mind of Christ. He would do the work. And then we come down here and verse 16, "...holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ." That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul says, when we get there on judgment day, he says, I'm going to have to give an account of my ministry at the church in Philippi. And he says, I know I'm going to have a smile on my face when that day comes. He says, I know I'm going to be able to report good things because I know You're going to follow this direction. You're going to take that salvation that God has given you and you're going to work it out. And then we come to the last section, the last half of the chapter actually. And verse 19 he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy as shortly to you that I also may be of good comfort When I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants 
For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Whoa. Well, where'd that come from? Well, where was Paul? He was in prison, wasn't he? Epaphroditus got there with an offering from the church at Philippi. And he gave that to Paul. And all of a sudden, he saw how much of the need was still there even after the offering was given. And he worked himself almost to death trying to supply. Now, when we get to chapter 4, Paul's going to affirm without any question, I have everything I need. Whether I have it or I don't, God knows and God makes it work. You see... How can you help but love a guy like Epaphroditus? Amen? But was that the answer? No. That wasn't the answer. The answer is not to work yourself to death trying to supply the needs of the ministry. But you've got to love the spirit that's behind it because that's what's being talked about in the rest of the... In the previous parts of the chapter, isn't it? Paul says, I'm trusting in the Lord to send Timothy because I want an eyewitness account of what's going on in Philippi. He said, I also trust in the Lord that I'm coming. But I've already sent Epaphroditus because we received from what you gave. We received from what he tried to give. But it was God that intervened and made everything turn out all right. You see, even when we try to do the right things the wrong way, God has to grab a hold of us and fix it, doesn't he? That was Epaphroditus. Wonderful. And Paul said, listen, you hold him in high esteem. This was not Epaphroditus' fault. Epaphroditus saw what the need was. And he just realized it couldn't be met. Now, we get to chapter 3 and he's going to tell us how to keep going. You see, the whole purpose of this, as Paul's expectation, his hope of the church, his consolation, not just feeling about things, but the reality to be able to take that salvation that God has given you and make it work not in a harmful way, but in a way that produces the most good, so that when we stand before God, we will not be ashamed. Amen? But there needs to be that eyewitness account. That's one of the nice things about having Brother Newberger so close. 
We know what's going on. Amen? And Brother Franz. But we can't do that with all of our missionaries. We, we have to listen to letters and things. But one of these days we'll be in heaven. Amen? And we'll all be together. Do you think there's going to be consolation in heaven? Yeah, it's going to keep us praising Him throughout eternity future. That's consolation. Amen? And we're going to see all of these things lived out if we will allow this mind that was in Christ Jesus to be in us. Now, what I hope to do over the coming weeks is go back and spend a whole lesson on the mind of Christ. Spend a whole lesson on some of these other subjects that we just really went through very very quickly here. But first of all, I want us to go through the book and get the big picture here. You see, Paul's not being negative in any way. He's trying to help the Philippians and us today to understand. There is a duty in the life of a Christian. There is things to be done. There is a salvation to be worked out. There is a place to serve. And God wants us to live for Him until He comes for us. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, we need you to do the work that is lacking in our hearts and lives. Lord, if we were to take time and really investigate this thing as we hope to do in the next few weeks, the the mind of Christ, there's not a one of us in this room who would lift up a downcast head and say, I'm doing that. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand that this thing called church is not about us. It's about you. That the Christian life and this salvation that you have given us is is not something that we get to examine and we write the parameters for. It is something that we live within the parameters of your word that's already been established. Lord, it's something verifiable, some things we can see with the human eye. And yet, so much of it is things that cannot be understood except by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God. We ask, Lord, as we examine this little book, that you would work in our hearts and in our lives and help us to have that joy that Paul spoke about. And to live rejoicing in your goodness and in the work you're doing in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, the piano will play. If you need to slip out, you may.